gentlemen, welcome aboard the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. Welcome to the Can't Wait podcast. Tim McMaster here along with the Athletics Jets reporter Connor Hughes and our great producer Marissa Morris. One week, guys, until the NFL draft. Teams making those final evaluations, tweaking the draft boards, getting ready. We're going to talk about what an A-plus draft for the Jets looks like. We'll talk a little bit about Zach Wilson as well, and we'll take some questions from you in the mailbag section. Please subscribe to the show, whether you're watching us the live stream on YouTube or you're listening to us on Apple. Those subscriptions really help us out. Uh, Connor, I was getting ready for the show today, and today I don't know who else is listening around the tri-state area, but for me at least, today is officially day one of allergy season. And it came in like... A moment. It was like my entire head just. Poof. So the Zyrtec is here. We're, I took we're my ready Claritin to roll. this morning. I took my Claritin this morning. So there you go. I That's good. You. We shouldn't we shouldn't uh, focus on one type of medication, right? We'll, yeah. Uh, we'll spread it. What whatever allergy meds you know, need, get them ready here on April twenty first, twenty twenty one. Are you an allergy guy, Connor? I have a million problems, okay. but yeah, I mean that's one of them. But I've I've been lucky, man. Knock wood. I've been fine so far. Usually, what happens to me is like when um whenever the seasons change so when we go from winter to summer or summer to winter or something like that like once we get that first okay it was 80 degrees yesterday and now it's 50 or now it was 50 degrees now it's 80 now we're back to 50 it usually knocks me on my ass and i'm in like really really bad shape but for whatever reason i haven't gotten that this year again knock wood i don't know maybe it's like the covid just knocked me i mean i I haven't had it but like maybe that whole thing just kind of threw my body out of whack where it was like just be on, be on lockdown right now so because I've been fine. But allergies, I usually get it bad, and I always know it's allergy season. I have a black car, so I, I know when I go out to my black car and suddenly it's lime green. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's I know rough. that. It's, and I, dude, the crazy thing is, I don't know where you guys – well, I know, Tim, you're you're up north, but um, Marissa was a Jersey girl, but I don't think you were in the, in the sticks like I was growing up as a kid in Tabernacle, New Jersey, where it was <laughs> like – like, I mean, I grew – like, where I, where I grew up – I knew I had to leave for school at a certain time where I was going to get stuck behind the farm tractors in getting to school. Like I like that's that's like would let you know where I I mean I was in like Stickville, USA. Like it was seriously I I don't know like I I was a transplant so I wasn't one of those like, you know, farmer kids or anything like that, but that's where I grew up. And uh so obviously there are trees and everything everywhere in the woods where I grew up in the farm place where I grew up. So like when we would when pollen season hit and when like allergy season hit the funny thing was when you would walk down my driveway, you would see footprints like you stepped in the snow. Like there would literally be like these massive footprints from the pollen that separated. It was uh, it was something else. Yeah, I never had them uh, growing up. I was fine. College in Syracuse, I was fine. Then I moved to Pennsylvania uh, about 20 years ago. And th- I think Pennsylvania is the allergy capital of the world. Mm. I mean, I, the yeah. just the, the mid-Atlantic states, I think. It's a little better in New York City. It's not as bad as it was then. Where it was like two months of just the worst, but uh, but yeah, they you hit live in for PA sure. now? No, 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 no. I live in the city. You know, I live. I was in gonna the say, city. where the hell did I missed that. Yeah, yeah, I was like, where did I miss? I was like, how did I miss? No, that? I lived in. Like, I lived in PA for nine years though before I moved to to New York. But I've been here for uh, yeah. over a decade. So what kills uh, me so. is sleeping with the window open. Yeah, because it's oh, like yeah. it's like hot, but not too hot to turn the air on. So like you want it like the window open, but then when you sleep with the window open, you just, just breathing in the pollen all night long so i wake up in the morning and i'm like i know i'm so 
I know I'm sometimes like aloof, but I figured I was like, I didn't miss in our group chat a, uh, a text message from Tim saying he moved from the city. <laughs> I know I know I sometimes miss texts and I'm aloof and I'm off like doing my own thing. But I was like, that would be a kind of that a, would have a monumental. Up, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, all these times I'm like, hey, can you guys do this time? This I figured Tim would have dropped on. No, I'm moving this week. guys. Sorry, we're back in the house. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't miss that one. Not that bad. Um, as for the draft, let's get people ready a little bit more. Um, one thing I wanted to talk about, Connor, was. You know, obviously you talk about Zach Wilson at number two, and we've talked about the pick at number 23 and even into round two a little bit. But overall, um, I'd love your take on if we're going to come out of the weekend and we're going to do our full recap whenever in a couple of weeks here on the podcast. And we are ranking the Jets and Joe Douglas with an A-plus draft. They they killed it. They knocked it out of the park. This is an A-plus. What does that look like beyond Zach Wilson? Well, I mean, you you hit it. I mean, it's it starts with Wilson, but we all know that. Like the moment the moment that the Jets traded Sam, I mean, they're obviously drafting a quarterback at number two. I know there's some people that are still holding out hope that they're actually going to trade back and get like Lance at ten or something like that, and somebody's going to come up and no, it's 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 going to be a, the quarterback at two. Uh, everything that I've heard is it's it's Zach Wilson at two. I, I've been led to believe nothing else that it's going to be anyone other than Zach Wilson. Uh, the fact that the Jets still haven't even signed a veteran quarterback and with Alex Smith retiring, which if no one has or if anyone has seen that Zach or that, that should watch, like what I'm saying is watch the Alex Smith documentary, the E60 that ESPN put out. Uh, Bree and I watched that the other night and we're just, I mean, jaws on the floor. I, I did not know it was as bad as it was. I mean, they basically removed half the guy's leg. It was uh, it was it's gory and it's gross, but it is absurd when you consider what he was able to do. Um, but obviously, you know, that probably gonna be Zach Wilson, number one. So we're number second overall first round picked an a plus draft for me for this team going the rest of the way is, is obviously you got to find value, but more than anything else, it's what, it's what Douglas said. It's, it's, they can't make the same mistake and we're going to talk to Joe tomorrow on Thursday. So, so we'll get, you know, his real final thoughts on the draft heading into this thing, but it's gotta be, it has to be. What he said, and now he's got to put action to words. It can't just be preaching. You got to do it. You got to carry through. And it's got to be surrounding this kid with talent. The, the Jets cannot make the mistake that they made with Mark Sanchez, the mistake that they made with Geno Smith, the mistake that they made with Sam Darnold. And Mark obviously was never going to be a player, I think, that developed into a franchise quarterback. Geno obviously is not a franchise quarterback. But Sam was the one that, that obviously everyone thought he had that potential, might still have that potential. But... I think the biggest thing is like when you look at the receivers that Sanchez threw to, aside from the the Santonio Holmes and, and Braylon Edwards years, like after those guys left and the players they trotted out there, he never had anyone. And Gino, he had Decker for a year, but before that had no one. And then obviously Sam comes in here and, and obviously you had Robbie at times, but he never had elite level playmakers around him. So the Jets need to take this young quarterback and for the love of God, make his life easy. They just, they need to, they need to make this kid's life easier. They can't have it all put on his shoulders because especially with Zach, this isn't Trevor Lawrence. This isn't Joe Burrow. This isn't a guy that is probably going to be ready to go right as soon as he steps foot on the field where he's going to be making a difference right away. I mean, he's going to be a guy that maybe takes the two route where it's bumpy and a little ugly year one, but then those, those uh, trials and tribulations create him better. So you got to at least do everything you can to make his life easier. And I don't know if the Jets necessarily took too many steps forward in doing that this offseason. I, I think that they're going out there and getting Davis is Corey Davis is, is a good step. But I look at this receiving core and I don't compare them to, to top 10 in the NFL. I mean, Corey Davis, 
Um, Denzel Mims, Jamison Crowder, that's a decent one, two, three punch, but, but no one's saying it's better than what the Jets have had, but no one's saying these are elite level receivers. You know, I mean, look what, look what Justin Herbert got to deal with in, in LA when he took over. I mean, he had Keenan Allen and, and, uh, Williams, the other receiver, or who's the, is it Mike Williams? Who's the receiver they have opposite him? The nasty guy. I know Popper's going to kill me for not knowing this and his name's escaping me. The guy from, I'm pretty sure he played at Clemson. Now you can look that up for me, Tim, because I can't I can't look it up and talk. But I mean, he had that. He had Hunter Henry. I mean, the guy had weapons and weapons on top of that. And Austin Keller and like this elite level running back group and, and a good well, the offensive line struggled a little bit, but he had all of these receivers to work with. That's making your quarterback's life easy. Mahomes is obviously the X factor, but he takes over. He's got Kelsey. He's got Hill. Yeah, uh, somebody, Bo, our boy Bo helped me out here. It is Mike Williams, is what I thought. I remember there being I'm pretty sure there was another Mike Williams that was drafted by the uh, Lions years and years and years ago. Yep. And I didn't know if I had his name on my mind. Like the one that was the kid from USC. USC. That was like ended yeah. up being a, yeah, it came back years and years later and ended up having like sort of, I think a semblance of success with like the Jaguars or someone else. He played for like a second team after the Lions and looked okay, but then fizzled out. He was a physical beast. It was when the Lions drafted like seven wide receivers in a row. But the Jets are in no way, shape or form right now. They're better than what they were last year. They're trending in the right direction, but they're not, they're not like a quarterback's dream team at the moment. So an A-plus draft for me is they continue to take the steps in doing that. And I know that they've had, they have they still technically have a need here at pass rusher. And that's where you're going to have Adjulari and, and potentially uh, Jason Oa be considerations. And people who think the Jets are just going to completely pass off uh, drafting a pass rusher at number 23. I mean, it's not true. If the right player is there and if the value is there, I have a hard time seeing Joe Douglas pass on them corner if if jc horn falls or, or someone like that i mean there's there are players there you know there's corners there that the jets could go at number 23 they have a need at corner they do have another need at pass rusher but all of that stuff pales in comparison if you don't develop and make your quarterback's life easy so for me at number 23 take the best available offensive lineman even if there's a drop between what the pass rusher is in the offensive lineman and the corner in the offensive lineman or something like that it doesn't matter to me. Get the offensive lineman because that's what you need. You need the offensive line to build a wall in front of this young quarterback. And I think Fant is going to be a good player at right tackle this year. The Jets are confident, more confident than I am in Connor McGovern, but they're confident in Connor McGovern. Obviously, Becton has all world potential as long as he can continue to keep his weight in check. But those two guard positions... You want to be a better team. You can't go into next year with the exact same offensive line and just think because it's Mike LaFleur's offense, Kyle Shanahan's offense, it's going to be better. Yeah, it's going to help some of these players, but you still need an improvement of talent. That means getting a better left guard. That means getting a better right guard. That stops at number that starts at number 23 in the draft. So, so I you so you're off- saying get away from I mean everybody preaches best player available, best player available. You're actually saying yeah. in this in this situation with this Jets team not necessarily best player available. Let's fill the needs for the quarterback. Best player available at a position that's going to help the quarterback. Yeah. That's that. I mean, I'm done with it. I'm done. I'm I'm so done with the Jets going with, you know, the 34 defensive linemen early. I'm so done with the Jets taking the safety, you know, top five, top six. Like, I'm so done with all of this crap because it doesn't make your – this is a quarterback-driven league. Look at the best teams in the NFL. It is all quarterback driven. The Jets failed miserably in both evaluating and developing Sam Darnold because they never surrounded him with talent. And Joe said, he said when we talked to him last, he's going to say it again when we talk to him tomorrow. He's not going to make that same mistake again. He's going to surround this quarterback with talent. He sort of did it in free agency, but now he's got to do it to the nth degree in the draft. So like I said, that's offensive lineman, best player available as an offensive lineman 
at number 23. In the second round, I keep sticking with the quarterback. Maybe if the right pass rusher or corner is there, I could see them maybe going with a pass rusher or corner in the second round. But I wouldn't rule out another offensive lineman. I wouldn't rule out a receiver if that player's really there. I wouldn't rule out a tight end if that player's there. Just continue to build this around the quarterback and worry about the rest later. Because I think the Jets can get by with the defensive line that they have right now. I think they can be a pretty good defensive line. Another pass rusher, yeah, that defensive line's looking ferocious, but they can make it work right now. I think the linebackers that they have, if Cashman can finally stay healthy and you have Mosley and you have Jared Davis, I think that's a good group. I think the safeties will be fine. I think the corners maybe with, if you were able to sign Richard Sherman as a veteran, I think that that corner situation is a lot better. You bring back Poole, suddenly that corner situation doesn't look as bad. What you need to do is the quarterback. You need to focus it on the quarterback. So I'm thinking offensive lineman at number 23. I'm thinking some kind of another offensive lineman or someone else to help the quarterback in the, in the third round. And then after those first those first three picks where you go quarterback, help quarterback, help quarterback, then you can start saying, okay, who who is truly the best player available? Maybe it's a running back. Could see them potentially going there. Maybe it's a corner. Maybe it's a pass rusher. But you, I would say you have to use these first three picks on quarterback one, help quarterback two, help quarterback three. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I would. I'm always for the never drafting running backs, but but maybe later in the rounds. Yeah, me too. It does feel yeah, no, like I'm in that boat too. if you are going another route in one of those picks, and and I think you know protecting a quarterback with one of those top three, very important. But if you don't go O line O line with second and third pick, doesn't cornerback isn't that the other need that's more glaring than? edge rusher i know dane's uh mock had edge rusher as their pick at 23 but like like you said the defense is going to be okay um and the rush will probably be okay but like if there's one thing that it needs it's it's more the the secondary yeah no no, no one the jets draft in this year's draft is making them a super bowl contender this year right. the jets are not a super bowl contender this year i think the jets might even struggle to make the playoffs this year, especially if they're starting a rookie quarterback. So you do it with an eye towards the future, but you also do it with, I mean, free agency is where you get the immediate jolt. Free agency is where you get the immediate step forward and the immediate jolt. So in my opinion, that's why I keep saying off, I would just go offense. I would just keep feeding the offense and then you can focus on these plug and plays. Now you mentioned corner. The one thing to remember about corner is that this scheme that Robert Sala is going to bring forward, it's a, it's a two deep zone, basically one, one, two deep zone. I mean, they're going to run a lot of zone coverage. And so when you're running a lot of zone coverage, and you have a lot of two deep help with those two safeties, you're not putting as much pressure on your corners. You know, I mean, when when Salah's defense was really rolling with, with the with the Niners, they were led by that defensive front. Now, granted, the 49ers spent four or five drafts, four or five first round picks and drafts on, on defensive linemen when you had Armstead and Thomas and Buckner and, and Bosa. So, I mean, they created a front and then acquired D Ford. They had a front, especially that Super Bowl year where they could drop everyone back because just those front four, just those five men that they could then rotate in, were going to get to the quarterback and were going to pressure the quarterback, whether or whether or not the corners were covering. I mean, they were going to get there so quick that it made the corners' life easy. I don't think the Jets, well, they've taken steps forward with the solid or the, the Lawson addition, with the uh, the Rankins addition, with Quinn and Williams going into year three, with John Franklin Myers back, all this. Side. I think they've taken steps forward and Vinnie Curry. I think they're starting to sort of replicate that front, but it's not the 49ers front. So they're going to need a little more talent on the outside than the 49ers had. But what you want is just zone corners. You And you're, it's easier to find zone corners. That's why you don't necessarily need the top five, top 10 pick on a corner here. You don't, you don't need that in order to make this defense successful, especially when you have some good safety play, which the Jets believe they're going to get with Marcus May coming back and uh, Ashton Davis in there and, and LaMarcus Joyner. I think the Jets are going to have 
a better safety situation than they're going to have corner situation. And then if Bryce Hall and, and bless Austin take the steps forward, but if you're going to go anywhere other than offensive line at 23, I, I think Tim, it's honestly, it's you're going true BPA. It's, it's true best player available. And if you're going with the true best player available, looking at Dane's big board and looking at some of the players that might be there, you're thinking about maybe a JC horn. You're thinking about an Asante Samuel, maybe Caleb Farley falls because I know he's had that injury. So maybe he comes down there a little bit. Or you're looking at one of the two pass rushers. Because if we have this run on quarterbacks early, like we think we're having, where you're going to have four come off the board with potentially five, actually. Because what is it? It's Trevor Lawrence, Trevor, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, uh, J- uh, Fields, and then um, Jones. Mac Jones. I mean, that's, yeah. So you're having basically five draft picks before the 23 immediately off the board. All five of those are quarterbacks. You already have to work in Smith, the receiver, Chase, the receiver, uh, obviously Kyle Pitts, Patrick Sertan. I mean, there's so many top tier players that you're now pushing those pass rushes, the Agilaries, the oh, Jason Owens, all those down the board. And when you're pushing those down the board, you're going to have a good player there for the Jets. So if you don't go offensive lineman at 23, I think you're going the best player available. And in that situation, because of the run on quarterbacks that's going to come, the best player available would be a pass rusher or a corner. And I think in that situation, I, I think that if you're talking about Horn, maybe that's where you make the 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 pivot and you go, all right, I'll take Horn over Agilari or or a, another pass rusher. But I think if Agilari's there, that's the one that if you don't go offensive lineman, it's going to be Agilari. I think that's the one that's going to make you think, I think that's the guy. And Dane put him on the board. I think he's a perfect fit. He's a situational pass rusher year one. He's starting opposite loss in year two. He's a ferocious, he's a, he's a top tier, high ceiling pass rusher. I think that's the guy the Jets would end up going with. But if you do go that route, Tim, if you do go the pass rusher corner route at 23 instead, it just ramps up the pressure in rounds two and the two picks in the third to, to fix that offense and continue to fix that offense. Because again, I can't I can't imagine in my head that Joe Douglas is, is going into this one thinking, oh, we have a new offensive scheme, so our offensive line is going to be fine. Like Alex Lewis wasn't good last year. Greg Van Roten was not good last year. Those guys are like good depth pieces, maybe like, players that you plug in when there's an injury for a couple of weeks, they're not starters. And and yeah, this scheme will make things better, but you still need to fix the offensive line. And and there are some injury concerns with Wilson a little bit because of the past shoulder issue, just that, you know, he's been hurt before. You don't want to have what happened to Burrow. You don't want to have what happened to Sam aside from the mono year. And even the mono year, he had a thumb injury. I mean, every year Sam was hurt because he kept getting his ass kicked in the pocket and Burrow goes down. Tua dealt with some hits. I mean, you want to build the line, build it in the front. And Joe said on his first introductory press conference, Starts with the two lines, offensive and defensive. Put your money where your mouth is. Obviously, you used the first round picked on Becton last year. You got to take the quarterback this year, but continue to build that out. Find your guards. Find your tackles. Build this thing through the draft and make your quarterback's life easy. That is priority number one, two, and three this year. All right, Connor. So uh, I think it was out today, actually. Maybe it came out yesterday. But Bruce Feldman every year does his draft confidential where he talks to uh, – you know, uh, coaches in the NFL, some people in the college game, scouts, everybody, but it's all basically anonymous. So these guys are, are free to really say whatever they think about different players. And this year, because it's such a big quarterback class, he really focused in on these quarterbacks. There is a section in there on Zach Wilson. So check it out. You can go to theathletic.com slash can't wait to get a subscription and, and check the story out. Um, I just wanted to run some of the negatives about Zach Wilson by you just to remind people that while most people think he's a really, really good prospect, it is not unanimous. So this is one quarterback coach's thoughts. He said, 
The good with Zach Wilson is really good, but the bad can be really, really bad. And when he goes to a bad team like the Jets and he's trying to win games, those are big concerns. He went on to say, if I had to bet money, I'd bet it doesn't work out for him with the Jets. Zach playing right away in that market with that play style, woof, that'd make me really nervous. And then the final thing he said, though, was actually positive. And it comes from his actual meeting with Zach. He said, I expected him to be Drew Lockish. I did not get that vibe. He was great. He was smart. He knows we're not going to draft him in the draft, and he could have been a total dick and that it probably wouldn't have hurt him at all, but he wasn't. He knew his offense. He put on bad. We put on bad clips, and he took ownership of all of it. So a little positive there at the end of, of I guess, some humility from Zach Wilson. But, hey, there are, there are people out there in the NFL world um, that think Zach Wilson to the Jets is a bad idea. And the people that think Zach Wilson to the Jets is a bad idea are the some, same ones who would be going batshit crazy if it was Zach Wilson to the 49ers. You know, for Zach, <laughs> well, if the, if the if the Patriots traded up to number three and and it was Zach Wilson to the Patriots, you know, suddenly there are no issues with Zach. He's going right. to the perfect situation. A, a lot of these, I read it because I remember you say, you texted me this morning and you were like, hey, we want, like, let's let's talk this. And I do read the text messages first. <laughs> I don't just read the ones I send. Um, when you said it, I was like, I went and I read the, the, what I came across thinking of it was a lot of the criticisms on Zach were the same things that we've heard. He hasn't played top tier competition. He makes some kind of those like wild boy throws, which obviously will, will turn some people off and they can sometimes go as much as they go good. They can potentially go bad, but that's the same stuff we've heard. I mean, it, look, Zach can only play the people, the teams that are on the schedule. He doesn't make the schedule for BYU. You know what I mean? Like he didn't. He, he's from the area. He went to his local school. That's what's what he did, right? So like, and when Joe talked about it on the press conference we had after the Sam Darnold trade, he was asked about competition, and he said, "You just have to trust the tape that you have. You can't go into, well, why didn't he play this guy? Well, why didn't he play that guy? Well, why didn't he do this? Well, why didn't he do that? You can't do those things. You can't." Focus on those. You can only focus on what you see on the film and evaluate the player that you see on the film. And that's the same criticism that you're going to hear from Zach because that or on Zach because Zach went to BYU. And because he went to BYU, this was always going to be a criticism. The injury stuff, the Jets have already checked that red flag off. It's it's over. Like they they talk to people that they trust. They've reviewed what they needed to review. The injury history, they're not worried about him. Yeah, he had an injury. Yes, it's a shoulder injury. That's something you want to worry about a little bit. But at the same time, it's like, Everyone can get hurt. It's the NFL. Everyone gets hurt. Sam Darnold had two shoulder injuries last year. Like, is he now, should the Panthers have not gone after him or given up the bounty that the Panthers gave up in order to get him? No, I, I don't, I don't, like, no, clearly not. So as long as you're fine with the medicals, as long as it crosses up, you're fine with that. The rest of what I read where people were criticizing Zach, it, it wasn't even so much them criticizing Zach or thinking Zach's going to fail because of Zach. They're criticizing Zach and ripping Zach because they don't think the Jets are the right team to surround him with town, and the Jets are the ones that are going to build this team wrong. And and this is the one criticism on the Jets that, like, it genuinely drives me nuts because I hear it all the time with, like, Sam Darnold and why did the Jets fail Sam Darnold? And it's like, well, these Jets right now, the men that are running this show right now failed Sam Darnold, and that's why Sam Darnold stunk, and that's why they ruined the promise that they made to Sam Darnold's parents, and the Jets ruined Sam, and they're going to ruin Zach because they ruined Sam. Mike McCagnin screwed it up for Sam. Like, Mike McCagnin was the team's general manager in 2015, where they don't have any players left from the 2015 draft. In 2016, where they don't have any players left from the 2016 draft. In 2017, where I think the only players left 
are Marcus May, right? I think it's Marcus May is the only player left in the 2017 draft. The 2018 draft where they got Sam, they have like Nathan Shepard and Foley Fatukasi left on the roster and Chris Herndon from that draft. We don't know who Chris Herndon is. Nathan Shepard's a rotational defensive player and Foley Fatukasi is a run-stuffing nose tackle, right? And then the 2019 draft, there's nothing really going on there aside from Quinn and Williams. So this was Mike McCagnan's roster. This was Mike McCagnan's roster that he screwed for four full years because the free agent signings didn't work and the draft picks didn't work, which is why the Jets fired him. Joe Douglas had one singular offseason to turn this around. One. Like, did you expect him to, in one year, one year where they did not know if there was even going to be a regular season because of the pandemic, one year where they didn't know what the salary cap situation in the future was going to look like because of the pandemic, one year, did you expect him in the 2020 offseason to erase Mike McCagnon's complete incompetence in 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, and 2019. Did you expect one year for them to erase all of that? No. So what did he do? I mean, look, yes, you can. The the one criticism that you can really rip on on Douglas for is that he one did not re or two I should say is that he did not re-sign. Robbie Anderson is a legitimate real criticism. Did he have his reasons for why he did not? Yes, he thought Robbie was going to get paid, get in trouble. He viewed him as a player that checked out if he wasn't the number one route runner. And he, they, they thought he was basically like a one-trick pony where all he could do was go deep. They were wrong in that evaluation. Correct. Absolutely wrong in that evaluation. The other one that they probably made a mistake on was that they never realistically pursued, and Marissa, you got you to throw me a bone here, the uh, right tackle for the, the tackle for the Browns that they signed from the... Um, yeah, Jack Conklin. So they did not realistically go after Jack Conklin. Like that, like they never made a, a serious pursuit at him because they thought Jack Conklin was an okay offensive tackle, a better offensive tackle than they had, but thought he was going to get paid top tier money. You look at the PFF grade and you look what Conklin did in Cleveland, and we can bring Michael on here to really give us the breakdown. The guy had a hell of a season. Like, like he had a hell of a season with Cleveland. Like he would have absolutely been worth the money that the Jets had. Those are the two mistakes that Douglas made. Aside from that, he drafted an offensive tackle to help his young quarterback in the first round. And that offensive tackle in Mekhi Becton looks like an all-pro player. He has all-pro potential as long as he keeps his weight in check. In the second round, he drafted a receiver to help his young quarterback. That receiver is going to be a starting receiver on this team next year as long as he's healthy. In the fourth round, he went out and he got a running back to help his young quarterback. I mean, he did these things to help move the Jets forward. But when you're starting with a roster that is bare bones dry because he did not, because of McCagnan's failures in 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19, he failed all of those years, both in the drafts and in free agency with signings like Tremaine Johnson and CJ Mosley and Le'Veon Bell and Tremaine Johnson and and. Darrell Rivas and Antonio Cromartie. I mean, there's millions of these signings that he whiffed on just as much as he whiffed on draft picks. It's not, it's more like there's, there's no, forget a magic spoon. There's no magic wand to wave around this team to fix that much incompetence for four, four and a half years. It's just not there. And you add on top of the, the, uh, the Adam Gase hire, which was not 
Joe Douglas. That was Mike McCagnin. Like it was all of these failures that Joe Douglas took over, basically having to go back to square one. And in one year, he did what he could to surround his quarterback with talent. Now he's gone out and hired his own head coach. This is a different Jets team than the Jets team that was around in 2015 through 2019, because you now have a general manager that this team wholeheartedly believes and has the stamp of approval from literally everyone I tried to find around the league. I got... I told you guys, I wrote that story on Joe Douglas when he got hired. It got to the point I was calling people around the league, asking him, just tell me something bad about Joe. Like, does he hate dogs? Did he like, <laughs> like, it's like, give me something on Joe Douglas because everyone just keeps speaking so glowingly about this guy. And his first offseason, obviously the Jets were 2-14, and 14, but they were 2-14 and 14 because of the previous four years of just crap. Like, there was nothing to work with. And now he's started to move them forward. Now, this is a big step in that direction. But to say the Jets failed Sam, so they're going to fail Zach. Or the Jets failed Gino, so they're going to fail Zach. Or the Jets failed um, Mark Sanchez, so they're going to fail Zach. I, I don't know how you can make that. And again, these are coaches from other teams. These aren't Jets coaches. These are coaches around the league that that uh, Bruce talked to that are obviously, you know, they might have the whole, like, they want to throw punt. They want to make punchy jokes at the Jets. And they want to, like, everyone wants to kick the Jets while they're down. And everyone wants to laugh at the Jets because right now, they're the league's punchline. Like, they are. They're the joke, right? I mean... Forget the fact that their crosstown rival Giants have the worst record in the NFL over the last like X amount of years. The Jets are the punchline in the NFL, right? Like that's that's what everyone wants to talk yeah, about. Yeah, we saw that on uh the new Ted Lasso uh <laughs> promo that came out yesterday. What do we call uh, teams that you don't uh, you don't watch Ted Lasso? Oh, come on. No. no. I sent it I but, sent it to you in the chat, but again, I guess you didn't read that. So I told you I'm a little busy with Lucy. Hey, it's more important that he reads on. actual show content. So True. I think, yeah, you know. yeah. So like, what what I'm saying though, and, and long story short, I went on a rant, and I'm probably gonna get ripped. Oh, why is the you know everyone says I run on the chat section says why why does the girl never talk? Like, is this, this chat's gonna be like why doesn't the ginger shut up? Like that's what the new <laughs> like tag in there is gonna be. But like I ultimately like what what drives me nuts when that criticism comes up, and I read that criticism on the Jets is like. These are not those Jets. These are not the Jets that failed Gino. These are not the Jets that failed Sam. These are not the Jets that failed Mark. They have a brand new general manager who has had one offseason to fix this team. The worst thing that the Jets did was allow Mike McCagnan to run the 2019 offseason and then give Joe the job because everyone thinks Joe has had... <laughs> everyone thinks Joe has had two full off seasons. No, he's had one, one free agent class plus Ryan Khalil and one draft. That's all Joe Douglas has had. So Joe hasn't failed Sam. And in his first draft, he got him a starting receiver and a starting offensive tackle and a running back that's going to be in the rotation, right? Now he's got a second off season. So when people say like, oh, Zach's going to fail if he goes to New York, because look at that team. Or Zach's going to fail because he went to New York. Because oh, look at what they did to Sam. No, this isn't, this is a brand new coach. This is a brand new GM. The only thing that's the same is Christopher and Woody Johnson and Christopher learned from his mistakes and he's hands off. This isn't like when Woody was in charge and Woody used to go in and say, I think you guys should go get Tebow. I think you guys should re-sign Darrell Rivas. I think we should do this in the draft. This isn't the case. Christopher has said, no, it is Joe's show. Joe is running things. This is Joe Douglas. And that is the best thing you can hear if you're a Jets fan. So yeah, you want to be upset he didn't do more last year. Well, he did do things. It's just, you can't erase Four years of five years of incompetence in one offseason, it's not going to happen. Now, if the Jets are two and 14 next year, if the Jets are three and 13 next year, if Joe 
fails to find anything in this draft, a substance that contributes within the next one or two years, yeah, then let's start ripping the criticisms. You can say the same old Jets. But for right now, you can't make that criticism because they have a general manager that came from the Ozzie Newsom uh, tree of team building, worked with Howie Roseman, who's had success in Philadelphia, a guy with three Super Bowl rings on his finger. You just grab Robert Sala to motivate these guys and get them going, someone who coached underneath a very successful program in San Francisco. You can't rip these Jets because of what the last the the past times Jets been, you just can't. It's it's it's. I, I, just, I, I hate that. I hate that criticism. You want to rip Zach because of accuracy and this, and he didn't play the big schools. Whatever, that's failure. But to say he's going to go to the Jets and fail because it's the Jets, it's just it doesn't make sense because these aren't those Jets. It's that's a fact. It's a different GM. If it's a different coach, it's a different offensive staff, and it's a different ownership mentality. Period. So like, I, it drives me nuts. It really does drive me nuts. All right. Uh, we promised that we would take some questions from, um, I think we got some through Twitter because Connor put out the message and, and also in the chat. Marissa, what do we got? Um, so I think this is an interesting one. We saw it last year with Joe Burrow and actually a few other quarterbacks, but how do you think no OTAs will impact Zach Wilson and Robert Sala in first year with the Jets? Uh, a lot. Um, I'll be honest with you. I think that's dumb. I mean, I really, I really do. Uh, I, I just... I get it. Like the players don't want to go there and not be paid extra for it. I mean, it's voluntary, right? I mean, so you're going and you're working and you're risking injury in practice. Cause I mean, not, not contact injuries, but I mean, you can tear your ACL running around. I can go outside and tear an ACL running around. Any of us can like, you can reach up and tear, like you're running a risk anytime, especially when you're those kind of athletes running as fast as they are and as strong as they are. I mean, tendons can only take so much when there's so much muscle built around them. So that's a problem I don't have. So it's like, that, I mean, that's like, like they, like they, uh, they obviously, in my opinion though, that's where you see the rough. Like that's where you see the sloppiness. That's where you see, especially with a new coach implementing a brand new offense with a brand new quarterback and so many new pieces, they would benefit greatly from OTAs and minicamp going into training camp because you get these guys on the field working, throwing. I mean, you kind of get like that baseline heading into minicamp you build on that, then you take a break, then there's a little rust when you come back from that month off in training camp, but you get going. So I understand why players don't want it. I understand why players don't want to add the extra mileage to their bodies. But in my opinion, when you're a young team, it's beneficial. You know what I mean? It's it's like going to the gym. Like, does anyone, like, I guess some people really love going to the gym. Like, I go to the gym because I don't want to be fat, like, period. Like, do I love being at the gym? No, but I know that if I don't go to the gym, I'm going to be a whale, all right? So it's like, that's the fact. So it's different with, like, the NFL. Like, do they want to go OTAs? No, probably not. But if you go to OTAs, you're going to be better off come training camp. You're going to be better off come week one of the regular season. So I just, I hate it. Like, I honestly hate it. When I heard that there were going to be no OTAs and I heard all these players were backing out, it was like, if, as long as, like, everyone, if they're all vaccinated and they're not worried about COVID and all that stuff, it's going to help you guys. It's going to make you a better football team. You can only you you can only learn so much over Zoom, period. Like it's better if you're in person and if you're better going through the drills and all that stuff. And especially when you're a new team, a new player going to a new team with a new coach and a new offense. And for every Jet that's returning, it's a new offense. For every new Jet, it's a new team. So, I mean, I think they're going to be hurt from it. I think they're going to be hurt from it. Um. Okay. I gotta find Sorry, Marissa, as as I, totally, I, I totally... I totally... Uh, I cut off. No, no, no. This yeah, one is from Jay, Jay Shaw 007. Okay. Would be great to see the Jets turn it around with Robert Sala. Any projections from fans as their 2021 record? So let, let's hear from Connor and then the chat can chime in on this one as well. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, I think if the Jets win seven or eight games, you know, it's weird. It's like I was actually talking to a friend of mine, Andy Vasquez. We were playing golf the other day, and I was—he was like, oh, he asked me that question. He was like, "Oh, what do you think the Jets are going to be?" And I was like, oh, "I was like, I could see him around 500." And I was like, "Wait a minute, there are no 500 records anymore because it's like the extra <laughs> game. Like, there's no way to be eight and eight. So, uh, I think if the Jets are between six, seven, and eight wins this year, I think that is a massive step forward. Now. The big difference is that if Sam was on this team, you could say like six, seven, eight, maybe nine, because he's you know he's the proven quarterback. He's played some experience. When you're dealing with a rookie quarterback, you have no idea. So if the Jets were able to sign Alex Smith, for example, and Alex Smith was going to be the guy that started before Zach Wilson, I think maybe they could get to seven or eight wins. Because I think it's one of those things where it's I think it's one of those things where with with you're getting like a, a game managing quarterback that's not going to make the mistake and will still win. I mean, Alex went five and one with the with the Washington last year, so I think that he could have done the same thing. I don't think Brian Hoyer, if the Jets sign him, is going to make them that much better than what Zach Wilson would make them. So it's going to come down a lot whether they're three, four, five, or six, seven, eight. It's just going to come down to what kind of pro ready quarterback Zach Wilson is, and I think honestly, what kind of immediate output you get from this year's rookie class because if you draft rookies that are able to contribute right away and are very pro ready and you draft two guards that come in and start and you never meet you say it's Wyatt Davis and Vera Tucker those are the two guys that you draft you got and this is one thing I want to go back to Tim's to remind me but like so you get Vera Tucker 23 and then you get Wyatt Davis in the third round and both those guys replace Greg Van Roten and Alex Lewis and their improvements over those players so then that offensive line looks entirely different right if you're able to get another playmaking receiver to add in there and have the one through four with Keenan Cole, Keelan Cole and some other guy. I mean, that's a legitimate step forward. I mean, if the running back, you say, say you find like a, a diamond in the rough running back in the fifth or sixth round, that's a legitimate step forward. So I think if you can get immediate impact from a rookie class and it's not a rookie class that needs one year, two years to develop, I think you're looking at a team that, that best case, seven, eight wins, Worst case, if, if Wilson isn't ready or Wilson takes his lumps or Wilson kind of looks like Tua did for the Dolphins last year, I think it could be 3-4-5. And if it's 3-4-5, we're heading into 2022 with quite a different expectation on, on Joe Douglas. One more, Marissa? Yes, we have one more. And <laughs> the name of this uh, submission on Twitter is great. This one is from Gase Ventura. <laughs> what is your favorite dra- Jets draft night memory? There aren't a lot of good ones, to be honest. I mean, it's rough, right? Like, honestly, like the night, I mean, Jets fans are famous for booing on draft night, right? But you think back to the nights when they didn't, when they were excited. And all I can think of is Sam, right? There was so much excitement around Sam and that didn't work out. So it's a really hard question. Finding a good Jets draft night memory. I don't have any players selected. Like, because, I mean, they haven't. Like, what have they... I mean, who, like the so the first round. Revis. Somebody covered, just said Revis, and but I wasn't around chat. for that. That right. I wasn't there. Right. So I started covering the team. 2015 was the first draft that I covered for the Jets. I covered the team a little bit in 2014 because I was covering Giants and them, and then 15 I started. So the first round picks since I've been around have been Leonard Williams gone, Darren Lee gone, Jamal Adams gone, Sam Darnold gone. Quinn Williams, Mackay Becton, and the Mackay Becton draft was remote, so I wasn't even there for that. You know what I mean? So, I think for me, I'll just go to covering the draft and like what, like I can kind of explain like what covering the draft is like because Thursday, you know, I think it's I I enjoy covering the draft because it's also one of those things where you're you're with 
I mean, it's weird because like I don't, I don't have, like you guys are my coworkers, but in a normal reporting atmosphere, I don't see like Dan Duggan who covers the Giants for us or uh, Bo who's covering the Eagles or like you know Aaron who covers the Texans. Like they're technically my coworkers, but I never see them. I see my competitors, so my coworkers are kind of like my competitors. So you know you get to know those guys. I've covered I've covered the Jets since fourteen, right? So we're going on eight years now. So I mean, I've known Costello and Samini and these guys. I've known them for eight years. So. You know, you get, you could be friends with, you're friends with, I mean, they're invited to my wedding, the same as you guys are. So like, they're, they're your friends. So you don't see them for a while. You don't see them in, you know, throughout the off season. Then the draft is like the first event back. So you're all back in the media room again. You're seeing each other. You're catching up. You're cracking jokes. You're busting balls, all that stuff. It's fun. And then Thursday night is like the first night of the draft, right? So you, the Jets have this big TV in the media room and they turn on the, the draft and you start watching it. I think we alternate between ESPN and NFL Network because usually Kim Jones wants NFL Network and then Rich wants ESPN. So we go like one day is one, one day is the other. They go back and forth. Um, so the first night you watch the draft, you're everyone's sitting there on their computer. As soon as like the first pick comes in, you go back to your cubicle, you write up your story. Then the Jets usually have the first round pick, have it go in for a conference call. Then after he's done with the conference call, the coach and the GM come down from where they are in the war room and they do a press conference. You write something else up and then they're done. The best part though, is that the Jets usually go all out with the food spread on draft night. Like they do a really good spread on Thursday, but the best, the my favorite draft memory, it's my favorite draft memory in 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19 is that on the Saturday or the Friday, the second night of the draft, Friday, between the between the second round and the third round. So the Jets have a spread that's out there initially when you first walk in, which is like sandwiches and stuff. Then they give you dinner. But after the dinner, on the second night of the draft, they have an ice cream spread. And it's like an ice cream bar. So they have chocolate ice cream, vanilla ice cream. They got hot fudge. They got peanut butter. They've got sprinkles. They have whipped cream, cherries, everything like it's a full-on all-out ice cream bar and it's always on the second night of the draft so my favorite jets draft memory isn't writing because it's usually hectic and stressful it's not like the i i'm not a huge huge fan of like when it's um the the second night of the draft i hate the third day of the draft because the picks are coming in like crazy you're monitoring draft it's just it's it's hectic it's stressful it's not fun but the second night of the draft when the ice cream bar comes out that is the best that is absolutely 110 percent, no doubt the best it's my favorite we should have known that your favorite memory centered around food. I feel like I'm like I'm like a clipped bird because I haven't been able to travel. <laughs> so there's been no press box power <laughs> rankings. There's been no in-person. Sp- and the Jets, all like because all of last year, even when we were at the facility for practices with the masks on, the Jets couldn't give us food. So normally the Jets, like MetLife Stadium sucks, but the Jets kitchen staff is incredible. And they give us like some legit real, like we've had Cuban sandwiches, homemade French onion soup, like real like cool stuff like that. Then full on like chicken parm penne vodka, like they go all out with their food. So I mean, it's it's great what they do, and to not have it at all last year, and now it looks like we're going to be home for the draft again, which means no ice cream bar again. I mean, it's upsetting. It's very it's very. Herbal. I'm gonna have to have Brie give me an ice cream spread or something like that out there, which I don't know how she's gonna like it. Um, all right, so uh, before we say goodbye today, we have a special guest joining the show now, and he has been waiting in the waiting room here oh, in, our, uh, in our program yeah. for a long time. So here he is, Josh Ader. Did I pronounce that right, Josh Ader? Yeah, you did. You're one of the few people who get it right on the first <laughs> Nice. All right. Well, uh, the reason we have Josh on is because uh, we had our March Madness pool um, that I think 75 people joined. So thank you very much for everybody out there. But Josh won. Um, he went Congrats. into the championship. Yeah. Thank you. He yeah, went, I honestly and- didn't know I won until last night <laughs> when Tim reached out on Twitter. 
That's fair because we totally forgot we had said we would have the winner on for like two weeks. And then we're like, oh, wait, let's we got to do that. So um, you did come back from behind and, and knocked my wife off, who was in second place going into the championship, Josh. But she had Gonzaga. I am impressed, though, because not only did you have Baylor beating Gonzaga, so you had the whole final and the winner. But your final score, you had Baylor routing Gonzaga, which actually happened. I think that kind of surprised everybody. So what was it? about this Baylor team that had you uh, all in on them? My thought process in March Madness is that like guards win championships. Mm-hmm. And oh, I, know, I know Gonzaga has uh, Jalen Suggs, but I think the three guys, the three-headed monster from Baylor with uh, Butler, Mitchell, and I'm forgetting the third guy. But the three of them really put it together, especially throughout March. So I think going with them was kind of my mindset. Well, I hope you made similar picks in another bracket competition that had a better payoff than joining our <laughs> podcast. That's for sure. <laughs> I, said, I will say this. Everyone wants to talk to Connor. <laughs> the other, uh, yeah, the other thing I wanted to bring up though is Can you tell Bree that. <laughs> yeah. So, so we used Yahoo for this, and everybody enters their thing. And the one, the one problem that we came to at the end is that there's no way to like contact people. So you're just literally going off whatever name they happen to put in. And yours, I think, was Ader Tater. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, I don't know what we're gonna do here. Marissa um, went into full, uh, FBI. I don't know, private I FBI, like private, FBI. yeah, private investigator mode, and kind of found you. She found your dad, which <laughs> led us to you. But good job, Marissa. Yeah, so funny story there. So my dad FaceTimes me last night. He's like, you won't guess what happened. Tim from The Athletic reached out on Twitter. I guess I won a March Madness pool. And I'm like, wait, you joined that pool too? Because I knew I did. And he's like, yeah. no, I don't, I don't remember joining a pool, but I guess I didn't. I won. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> let, let me go look. And it was my bracket, not his. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> That's a All right, I'm so um, my detective skills to good use. <laughs> yeah, very well done. The one other thing we wanted to ask you about because it's draft season is, mm-hmm. you know, are you are you on board the Zach Wilson train? Yeah, I am on board the Zach Wilson train. Have been for a while now. Knew I did not want Fields. I so I went to Indiana. So shout out Big Ten, Marissa. Um, <laughs> Oh, I don't know. And I mean, saw Fields struggle against Indiana Northwestern, kind of knew he was not my guy. So wanted to run with Wilson. My mindset for the draft is, and I think Connor kind of got to this earlier, is get as much talent around Wilson as possible. Uh, I don't care if we are the, if the Jets are the worst defensive team in the league, but give Wilson as much success as we possibly can on offense, whether that's with offensive linemen, uh, wide receivers wouldn't don't really want to running back until the later rounds, but get whatever we can for Wilson. Nice. All right. Any questions for uh, for Connor, Marissa, or me before we uh, say goodbye today? Uh, question for Connor. Yes. I don't think this was really addressed today. What are the chances that Douglas trades up, mm. so moves into like the early to mid teens to grab yeah. a guy that he really wants? Yeah, I think if you see someone like Slater start to get within striking distance where he can use one of those mid-round picks in his 23 to get back up there, I think that's where it would be the play. It's going to have to take the right one, though, because I think the one thing that Joe realizes and the one thing that he likes and and it's kind of his thing is like 
the more the merrier. And he knows like the draft. I mean, the draft's a crapshoot, right? Because like it's it's one of those things where it's like if you bat three hundred in the draft, four hundred in the draft, it's like oh that's pretty good. Like you hit on three out of seven picks, it's like wow, you had a good draft. I mean, it's rare. So the more picks you have, the more likely you are to hit it. So I think that if the right player starts to get within striking distance, where he can go up three or four picks or maybe five selections to go from 23 up maybe into the late teens. I think that's where you could see it. And I think you would have somebody like Slater starting to come down and that's where he might jump up and go get him. I don't see him moving up for a corner. I don't see him moving up for a pass rusher. I don't see him moving up for a receiver, like nothing like that. But if the right offensive lineman starts to get down where it's like, you know what, let's just go up four or five picks and get our guy instead of risking him coming down. I think that's where you could see him, see him move down. I think it's, it's definitely in the cards and, I think because he's got the 10 picks this year and the 11 picks next year, it's it's more in play than ever before because you can go up four or five picks and not deplete. I mean, if the Jets traded three of their picks next year, they still have eight selections, right? I mean, still have eight right. picks in next year's draft. It's absurd. So, I mean, I think I think it's definitely possible. It's just going to take the right situation in terms of the right player going down. All right. All right. Hey, Josh, good job on the bracket, and thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. Lots to come up, though, in the next uh, week or so with The Athletic and this show in general. Uh, We probably won't be back with you until draft night, but we are going to live stream after uh, night one, I think night two, and maybe night three. Is that what we're thinking? It's it's all in for the Jets draft, Um, so we'll update you as we go, but definitely night one, so join us for that. And also streaming on night one, The Athletic Football Show, um, Robert Mays, Nate Tice, Dane Brugler, Lindsey Jones. They're all going to be part of it. That'll be coming on about halfway through the first round. Marissa's a part of that as well. Marissa's producing like 12 podcasts in three hours on draft. Because we're not going to have her. You're not going to be on the the draft pod? Oh, you are doing it with us? Later in the night. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Just cold brew all night long. (laughs) You and me both. Yeah, we're going to be mainline. Yeah, that's what we're doing, Tim. Like like, We're going to go after the first round, after the second and third round, after the four through seven round, not we're not doing after every pick because I like I no. have to write and so like I would just be horrible, especially because you don't know what Joe is going to do. He's going to go up, down, left, right, sideways. Um, but we're going to uh, after every round, we'll be on probably about forty five minutes an hour after the draft will be on, and then we'll do a recap on either probably Monday, right? I don't think you want to do a recap on Sunday because no, the draft Monday is Saturday. Yeah. yeah, Monday or Tuesday yeah. will be a recap. Yeah, yep, so, so it'll be busy. Lots of can't wait coming. I can't yeah, wait. lots of streams or, or if you're listening on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. If you want to read all that stuff, all those people I just talked about, they're writing, Connor's writing, uh, go to theathletic.com slash can't wait. Right now you can join The Athletic for just $3.99 per month. That's going to do it for us. Happy draft week. <laughs>